You are listening to the Akron Abide Bible Study Podcast. For more information, check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Akron Abide. But after the Apostle Paul concludes his prayer in verse 11, he then transitions from the category of loving to the category of living. And this is kind of the hearts of our message and the hearts of the book of Philippians. You see, the church at Philippi wanted an update on their beloved brother and the Apostle Paul. They wanted to know what was going on in Rome. And in our text this morning, we see the mindset of the Apostle Paul regarding his current living conditions. Remember now, the Apostle Paul is in prison as he's writing this. This is a prison epistle, a prison letter. The Apostle Paul was thrown in prison for preaching the gospel, and, and now he's on house arrest awaiting to appear before Nero. And to top it all off, we find out that the Apostle Paul is chained to a Roman guard night and day. That was the custom in that day when you were on house arrest. You were chained to a Roman guard night and day. Every six hours, a new guard would come in, and he would be chained to him for six hours. That's a lot to throw at one guy, right? His situation is not good at all. The Apostle Paul is going through some terrible trials and some terrible tribulations. But here in the book of Philippians, we find Paul writing to the local church at Philippi, and he's writing with immense joy. You see, this is a prayer letter. This is a love letter, but this is also a joyful letter from the Apostle Paul. This book is all about joy. That's the theme of the book of Philippians. The word joy or rejoice is mentioned 16 times in this short letter. In spite of all of his circumstances, the Apostle Paul had the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord was Paul's strength. And we find out because that was the case, because he had that joy unspeakable and full of glory, this brought with it incredible results in the life of the Apostle Paul. And that's what he says to this church at Philippi. He gives them this great news that is taking place in Rome in spite of his terrible circumstances. So that being said, let's look at our text verse today, Philippians chapter 1 and verses 12 through 14. Notice the news that he gives to this local church. He says, But I would ye should understand, brethren, I desire that ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places, and many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now that's an awesome verse. That's an awesome passage. That's some good news. The Apostle Paul is dealing with some terrible things, but he gives the church at Philippi this great news. So just get the picture for a second, all right? Paul is in prison. He's chained to a Roman guard. He's living with terrible circumstances, and yet he's living with immense and intense joy and because of that, the gospel advances. The gospel goes on. People are getting saved, and saved people are getting on fire for Jesus Christ. And that's what we see in these verses. Look what he says there. He says, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest. They are seen in all the palace and in all other places. In other words, everyone is talking about the joy that the Apostle Paul has. Everyone is talking about this joy that Paul has, so much, in fact, that it made its way to the palace. It made its way to the Praetorian Guard, and now there are actually people in Caesar's household 
getting saved and having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. All because the Apostle Paul had joy. Now that's exciting to think about. That's so cool. I love to cover these verses. But whenever I read these verses and I look at Paul's life, I'm always left with this question. How? How is the Apostle Paul able to live with that joy in the middle of all of his trials and tribulations? Because I'm going to be honest with you this morning. I struggle with having joy on the day-to-day of life, and I'm being blessed. I'm blessed right now. I'm the most blessed man on the face of the earth. I truly believe that, but I struggle with joy. So how is the Apostle Paul able to have joy in the middle of his trials? Well, there are two possibilities on why the Apostle Paul can do this. Either Paul is a wild man or a wise man. One of the two. He's wild, he's gone crazy, or he's wise, and he knows the secret to lasting joy in this life. He's either a wild man or a wise man. Which one do you think it is? Which one do you think? Well, there's a saying in baseball that when a pitcher isn't throwing strikes but is still managing to strike people out, he's known as effectively wild. That's the title that he's given. He's throwing the ball all over the place. It doesn't seem to be hitting the strike zone at all, but for some reason, it works. For some reason, he's striking out guys. And and there are many pitchers that have had long, successful careers in the major leagues and have been known as effectively wild. And it's so cool when you watch these guys pitch because it seems like there's no rhyme or reason to their ball placements. But if you talk with them after the game, you find out that there was a method to their madness. You see, it was their wisdom that made them wild. It was their wisdom that made them successful. It was their wisdom that made them effectively wild. Well, that's a good illustration of the Apostle Paul. His wisdom made him wild. He is effectively wild. He is effectively joyful. You see, to the Romans, Paul's joy may seem erratic, unconventional, and just doesn't make sense. But it's for that exact reason why his joy is contagious. You see, the Apostle Paul had something the Romans did not have. The Apostle Paul had joy in the middle of his trials, and they looked at him. They looked at his situation, and they realized, hey, I'm missing something in my life. His joy was contagious, and they wanted what he had. Paul was effectively wild. But I want you to know today, there is a method to Paul's madness. There is a reason why he seems wild. You see, even though Paul's joy doesn't make sense to the Romans, and even though it seems to pass all human understanding, the fact that he can have joy in his circumstances, you see, for the Christian that's grounded in the Word of God, Paul's joy makes the most sense in the world. Paul's joy makes total sense because there is a method to Paul's madness. There are reasons for Paul's joy. And those reasons are rooted in the unseen things of God. They're rooted in the things that the worlds cannot see. They're rooted in things that the worlds cannot understand. Therefore, to the Romans, Paul was wild. Paul was an enigma. Paul was crazy. But for the Christian, Paul is wise. And I don't know about you, but I want that type of joy in my life. Right? I want the joy of the Apostle Paul because there's going to be some times where trials come my way. Tribulations come. We all go through it. And when those trials and tribulations come, I want to be able to stand strong with the joy of the Lord as my strength. I want that joy unspeakable and full of glory. I want to be 
effectively wild. I want that joy in my life. And, and you want to know something today? I can. Praise God, I can be effectively wild today. And you can be effectively wild today because the same reasons why Paul is joyful are the same reasons you and I can be joyful. And those reasons are found in our text today in Philippians chapter 1 and verses 12 through 14. All right, so we're going to look at that text today. There's three verses that we're going to look at. And in those three verses, we find three reasons why the Apostle Paul was effectively joyful. Why the Apostle Paul could have joy in the middle of his trials. All right, we're going to look at that today. And the first one is this. The first reason why Paul had joy was the sovereignty of God. You ask me why Paul was able to have joy in the middle of his bad circumstances? God's sovereignty. Right? Paul found joy in the sovereignty of God. Now, when we say God is sovereign, we mean that God is powerful and authoritative to the extent of being able to override all other powers and authorities. I'm going to say that one more time. God is powerful and authoritative to the extent of being able to override all other powers and authorities. It's dealing with the fact that God is ultimately in control. Right? God is ultimately in control of everything in life. He is all-purposeful. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He's omnipotent. He's in control of everything. And that's what we see in verse number 12. That's how he begins to describe his living conditions. Look at verse 12. He says, But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Now that phrase, should understand there, is translated from the Greek word genosko which means to get knowledge of or to perceive. In other words, Paul is wanting to shed some light on some things for this church at Philippi. He's wanting to teach them some things about the sovereignty of God. You see, the Philippians were greatly distressed at the news of Paul's imprisonment. These people were scared. These people were fearful. Their pastor that they once loved is now in prison in Rome, and they wanted an update. They wanted to know, and, and, and Paul is writing to them, and he's saying, hey, I want you to understand God's powerful purpose behind all of this. I want you to understand God's sovereignty at work in my life. It's all good, guys. It's all good. You see, God's sovereignty means that he's all-powerful and all-purposeful. It means that he can work all things together for good. It means that God has a higher purpose for everything in life, and because of his infinite wisdom and power, he will bring it to pass. That's the sovereignty of God. And this is what Paul chose to focus on. This was the perspective that he had, and it brought Paul great joy. Look what he goes on to say in verse 12. He says, "Ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. He says, the things which happened to me. Now, when he says that, that actually describes everything that happened to the Apostle Paul from Acts chapter 21 to Acts chapter 28. Everything that brought Paul to this point, that brought him to this point in prison, on house arrest, in Rome, everything that happened to him is described in Acts 21 through 28. Now, Luke is the writer of the book of Acts, and so he goes on to detail on what took place in Paul's life. But when the Apostle Paul is writing to this church, all he says is the things which happened to me. That's it. But in order for us to really grasp the trials and the tribulations that Paul went through, we need to notice what happened in those chapters. All right? So let's go and just imagine what's going on here in Acts 21 through 28. We find some things out. We learn 
that a Jewish mob tried to kill Paul for preaching Jesus Christ, for preaching the gospel. He went through an unjust hearing, an unjust trial, because they criticized him and accused him of trying to start a revolution. He was sent to Rome to be put on trial. And then on the way to Rome, he was shipwrecked to the island of Malta. That's a lot to throw at one guy. But to top it all off, after all of that, he was placed on house arrest and chains to a Roman guard. A lot of stuff getting thrown on the Apostle Paul. But notice, the Apostle Paul doesn't mention any of that. No, all he says is the things which happened to me. That's it. Paul wasn't focused on the details. He was focused on the outcome. Paul wasn't focused on his problems. No, he was focused on his results. That's all he cared about. To use the words of H.B. Charles, his focus was not on what happened. No, he wants to talk about what happened to what happened to him because what happened to him was used by God to further the gospel. In other words, Paul isn't focused on his problems. He's focused on the purpose behind his problems. He's trusting in the infinite wisdom and sovereignty of God to work in his life. He's trusting in the fact that God is a mighty God and that God is in control. One poet paints a picture of this story this way. He says, The things that happen to me are not by chance I know, but because my Father's wisdom has willed it to be so. For the furtherance of the gospel as a part of his great plan, God can use our disappointments and the weaknesses of man. Hey, that's how God works, amen? And that's what Paul went through, and that's the mentality, the perspective that God had. God can work all things together for good. And the Apostle Paul wants the church at Philippi to understand this truth. That's why he's writing to them. He wants the church to understand the sovereignty of God. He wants them to know that the same sovereign God that's at work in his life is at work in their life. All right, and I want you to know this morning, the same thing goes for you and I today. Hey, we serve a sovereign God. And because we serve a sovereign God, he's in control of everything. It means that he's able to do whatever he wants to do. He's in control. God is able to employ what happens to you. God is able to manipulate what happens to you. God is able to overrule what has happened to you in your past life. The negative things that you've gone through, the scars in your life, he's able to overrule that and work it together for his glory and for your good. Romans 8, 28 says it this way, and we know that all things work together for good to those that love God and to those that are the called according to his purpose. I know I quote that verse a lot. It's probably one of my favorite verses, but it's a verse that we really need to cling to when the going gets tough, right? Because he is a sovereign God that can work all things together for good, and we're supposed to focus on that, right? That should be our focus in the Christian life. We need to grasp it. We should understand. We should genosco that truth. Right, Shane Pruitt said it this way, only God can turn your mess into a message, your test into a testimony, your misery into a ministry, and your weakness into a witness. Why can he do that? The sovereignty of God. So when the going gets tough in your life, if you want to find joy in the middle of your circumstance, stop and focus on that truth. God is sovereign, and he can work all things together for good. So that's number one. That's the key to Paul's joy. He focused on the sovereignty of God. But then secondly this morning, he also focused on the salvation of God. He focused on God's salvation. You see, if we read these verses, we discover that that's ultimately what Paul's joy is rooted in. 
It's rooted in the sovereignty and salvation of Almighty God. Look at how he closes in verse number 12. He says, the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Now let me ask you, what is the gospel? It's the good news of salvation. Right? The fact that Jesus Christ suffered and bled and died for you. He hung there on a cross and he bore your sin. He bore your suffering. He bore your shame. He was placed in a borrowed tomb. Three days later, he rose again. He's now seated at the right hand of God, intercessing for us. And if we accept him as our savior, we call upon him. We can be saved and have a personal, wonderful, awesome relationship with him. That's the good news of salvation. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what he was focused on. The Apostle Paul was focused on the joy that salvation brings. You see, from the moment of Paul's conversion on the Damascus Road to this moment as he's penning these words, Paul found joy in the salvation of Jesus Christ. It never changed. And I want you to know today, there is joy in knowing that you're saved. There is joy in salvation. The moment of salvation is inexpressibly joyous. It absolutely is. Jesus said it this way in Luke 10, 20. He said, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Hey, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your savior, you're on your way to heaven, man. Jesus Christ forgave you of your sin. You can have a relationship with him, but you also have a mansion in glory with your name on it. Hey, you can't go to hell. You're not going to hell. You're going to heaven. That's something to get excited about, guys. That's something to rejoice about. No matter what happens in this world, we can cling to that truth. We can rejoice about our salvation. And throughout the scriptures, that's what we see. We see the joy of salvation. After the Ethiopian eunuch was saved, the Bible says in the book of Acts, he went on his way rejoicing in Acts 8.39. In Acts 15.3, we read that the conversion of the Gentiles caused great joy to all the brethren. And then we find out in Acts 16.34 that the Philippian jailer and his family were filled with joy when they became believers in God. The Philippian jailer and his family is part of the church that the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to. They had joy in their salvation. Time and time again, that's what we see, right? Never doubt that salvation, the most profound of new beginnings, is also infused with joy beyond description. Hey, when's the last time you thought about that fact? The fact that Jesus Christ saved your soul and forgiven you of your sin. That moment when you believed on Jesus Christ. Hey, sometimes it's good to go back and think about that day. Think about that time when you accepted Christ as your Savior. And it's that type of joy that will get you through the difficult times of life. I can imagine Paul reflecting on that moment in the dark times, in the terrible times, when, when he's about to be martyred, when, when he's being treated unjustly, thinking about the moment when, when Jesus Christ came to him on his way to the Damascus Road, and we should have that same mentality. It will get us through the difficult trials, the difficult times of life. I like what the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk said on the matter. He said this, beginning in verse 17 of Habakkuk 3. He said, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. He says, Everything going around me is bad. I'm going through trials. I'm going through tribulations. Nevertheless, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. 
I'm going to joy in the God of my salvation. And, and that's a great verse, but it's interesting. And it gets even better when you study the Hebrew in Habakkuk 3.17. Because that word rejoice literally means jumping for joy. And that word joy means to spin around in circles. So he's saying, when trials come my way, when difficulties come my way, hey, I'm still saved. I still have a personal relationship with Christ. I'm on my way to heaven. I want to hit that light. Um, <laughs> but that's the idea there. We can rejoice and get excited about that. We're saved, guys. No matter how bad the world is around us, I am dizzy. Holy cow. No matter how bad the world is around us, we can rejoice about that track, fact. And, and, and this is where Paul's joy was placed. Paul was focused on his salvation, but not simply his salvation. No, Paul also found joy in the salvation of others. And that's what we see in our context today. Look what he says in verses 12 and 13. He says, The things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. So because of Paul's joy... And because he had a passion for sharing the gospel, we find out that lost people are getting saved. People are accepting Christ. So much, in fact, that the gospel was being shared in all of the palace and in all other places. The Roman guards that were chained to the Apostle Paul night and day were accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior. And even people in Caesar's household we're putting their trust in Christ. Paul mentions that in Philippians chapter 4. And that truth brought Paul so much joy. That truth of seeing people accept Christ as their Savior and making that decision of faith, it brought him so much joy because the Apostle Paul had one supreme purpose in life, and that was to share the gospel. And Paul wasn't sharing the gospel out of obligation, but adoration. Adoration for God and adoration for others. You see, Paul had the secret to eternal life, and he wanted others to have it too. He wanted other people to experience what he had. He wanted them to have the same joy that he had. And, and so therefore, he goes and he witnesses and he shares, and, and then he sees them accept Christ. He sees them have that joy, and that brings him so much joy. He found joy in the salvation of others. I got to tell you, watching someone accept Christ is amazing to witness. It brings so much joy, and, and nothing fills my heart more than to see people accept Christ and grow in the Lord, man. I've witnessed that since we've been here, and it just, oh, you get a taste of it, and you can't quit. That's why I want us to continue to grow and continue to reach, because I got a high of watching you guys have joy. There's so much joy in the salvation of others. D.L. Moody said it this way, great preacher. He said, there is joy of one's own salvation. I thought when I first tasted that, it was the most delicious joy I had ever known. But I found out there was something more joyful than that, which is the joy of the salvation of others. Hey, that's where Paul's joy was found, salvation of others. I tell you what, today I haven't preached in a week. I never have dry mouth. I've got dry mouth so bad today, so bear with me. So the Apostle Paul, you get rusty after a week. So the Apostle Paul found joy in three things. He found joy in God's sovereignty. He found joy in God's salvation. And then number three, this is how he closes. Paul also found joy in the saints of God. He found joy in God's saints. Look at how he closes verse 14. Look at the update he gives to this church and how he closes this update. He says, And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, 
are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So because Paul found joy in God's sovereignty, and because Paul found joy in God's salvation, we find out that other Christians began to get on fire for God and started sharing the gospel themselves. They started standing up for Jesus Christ. They started leading people to Jesus Christ and being unashamed of the gospel. And again, I find out, and we find out, that this brought Paul so much joy. Paul witnessing this happening, Paul witnessing this growth, Paul witnessing the furtherance of the gospel, it gave Paul so much joy in its life. But, but it's interesting how this all came about. You see, the reason why these Christians became confident in the Lord and began to speak boldly concerning Jesus Christ is because many of them witnessed Paul's joy firsthand. You see, this wasn't a secondhand experience for these Christians. No, many of these Christians witnessed Paul's joy directly. And this is where God's sovereignty, God's salvation, and God's saints all come into play at one time. This joy that he had experienced all at one time coming into play. Because, uh, because Paul was on house arrest in Rome awaiting the Lord, because of the sovereignty of God putting him in that situation, we actually find out that Paul was able to share the gospel with the Roman guards that were chained to him night and day. They were able to accept Christ as their Savior, which is so awesome, but it gets so much better than that. It doesn't stop there. No, since Paul was on house arrest and not in actual prison, the Roman government allowed Paul to have guests over. That was the custom that he was given. He was able to have people over at his home. And, and so while Paul is in his home, he was able to host Jews and non-Jews alike and preach to them. He was able to continue the ministry that he has of, of witnessing and, and preaching and teaching people the gospel of Jesus Christ. And therefore, he was able to lead people to the Lord as well as teach the Christians that were already in Rome. And because these people were able to have a first-hand account of Paul's joy and Paul's wisdom, they were able to go on for God boldly. To say it this way, because Paul was effectively wild, they became effectively wild. Because Paul was effectively joyful, they became effectively joyful. So cool, but it's a two-way street. Paul gave encouragement to the saints, but then Paul found encouragement from the saints. Iron sharpens iron. They work together. And I want you to know that's God's same design today. Us working together. Us growing together. You see, God never intended his children to be isolated and alone. That's never the case. You read the Bible, you discover that he wants us to work together. When Jesus sent the disciples out to begin preaching on their own, the Bible says he sent them in pairs. When Elijah was depressed and discouraged, God gave him Elisha to join him in the ministry. When God commanded the early church to send out missionaries, they sent Paul and Barnabas together. You see, there is enormous safety and encouragement in knowing that we are not alone. There is joy in togetherness. There is joy in one another. And this is one of the reasons why God designed and God established the church. That's really one of the main reasons why God did so. You see, you look up the word church, you want to know what it literally means? It literally means a local assembly of believers. That's what the word church means. You see, the church is not a monument. The church is a movement. The church is not a place. The church is a people. The church is a group of people that come together and encourage one another, 
pray together and worship Jesus together. That's God's design, and, and this creates lasting joy in the life of a Christian. It absolutely does. We need each other in the Christian life. We need the church. We need one another. Right? That's why the Bible says in Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, and so much the more, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You want to know what that verse tells us? That verse tells us that the closer we get to the second coming of Jesus Christ, the more we need each other in this life. The more we need one another. And that's the phrase that's used there, exhorting one another. It's interesting, the phrase one another is used 100 times in 94 New Testament verses in the Bible, indicating that you and I, we need each other in the Christian life. But you want to know something crazy? 47 of those verses are in the context of the local church. The local church encouraging, admonishing, bringing joy for one another. 47 of those is in context of the church. 60% of the one another's in the Bible are written by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul writing about the one another's and the local church. You want to know something? I think it's safe to say that the Apostle Paul found the secret to effective joy, and it was the saints of God. It was the local church. And, and remember now, that's who he's writing to, right? He's writing to the church at Philippi, and he's writing with joy. This book is about joy 16 times. Joy or rejoicing is mentioned, but at least 11 of those times are written in light of the church at Philippi. Paul is writing to them and saying, hey, I've got this joy for you, and you've got this joy for me. 11 of those times it's in that contents. Paul found joy in the saints of God. Paul found joy in the local church, and that's why when he's chained to a Roman guard, and he's got everything going against them, he can look at that church at Philippi, and man, he can have such joy because he was encouraged by them, and they were encouraged by him. It was a relationship, it was a family, and it brought him joy in his life. You see, Paul found joy in three things. The sovereignty of God, the salvation of God, and the saints of God. And all three of those things are connected to our series title today, The Church at Philippi. We can find all three of those things today. Hey, if you're going through a hard time today, if you're going through a tough time today, remember that the same reasons why Paul was joyful are the same reasons why you and I can be joyful, and that is God's sovereignty, God's salvation, and God's saints. And when we reflect on those reasons for joy and then respond to those reasons, that's when we can experience lasting joy and that's when we will be effectively wild.